Now, I hope you've all got uh, one of the little handouts that I provided at the back there. I had time to produce that this morning and to think about what I was going to speak about before that. I didn't have time to produce a PowerPoint. So we'll have to be old school today and I hope that either you have a paper version or maybe as many do these days, it's your um, digital version. We're going to actually look at the Bible. So I'm thinking about this new year. It's the second Sunday of the new year and how do we approach um, a new year? Uh, Well, Dates in the Bible are often quite significant, but more often than not, particularly when the Jewish dates are written there, as was just read to us, we don't quite always get the connection. The 17th day of the seventh month in the old Jewish calendar. Does anybody know what day that corresponds with today? It's New Year's Day. The 17th day of the seventh month is actually our 1st of January. Wouldn't it have been good if I was preaching last week? So dates are often significant in the Bible, but as I mentioned, we often don't realise it at first. So here's something that happened on the 1st of January. And... What's on the foot on New Year's Day? Um, something significant in terms of the place as well. Where were they? In the ark on Mount Ararat. Now, Ararat means holy ground. And of course, the ark is a picture of our Saviour, really. In the boat, in the ark, they were safe from that flood. And today you don't need me to tell you that there's a flood of a problem in this world. Sin, of course, has always been a problem. But when we think of everything else that's going on today, where are we safe? What's our secure place in our Saviour, on our holy ground? So in the ark, on Ararat, on that first day of the new year, what did they see? They saw the tops of mountains. Now, we don't know what's ahead of us this year. We don't see the whole picture. We don't see the whole mountain. But we can see the promises of God. We know them from the scripture. And just like, you know, those mountain peaks sticking up out of that water, we see that. From where did they see it? From the top of the ark. They weren't down in the bottom of the ark. They had to get to the top of the ark to look out. And that's what we need to do, don't we, in this year. We need to climb up, to rise up, not to dwell in the bottom of the boat. We need to have faith. We, look, we need to look to those mountains. Not all is visible yet, but it will be. So how do we approach this new year? 2022. Oops, there goes the pen. Now, we've just read a little about one of the most famous characters in not just the Old Testament, but the Bible. If I'd asked you before the reading this morning, let's have a look at Noah, I reckon all of us would have known 
about where to look. Maybe not exactly which chapter in the early part of Genesis, but we would have got there, right? We know about Noah and we'd know kind of where to look. Well, I reckon we can learn how to approach this year with a few lessons from not such a famous character as Noah, but a rather less famous character. His name is Shamgar. Now, it's on your bit of paper, so you're perhaps expecting that. But if I'd asked you now to turn to let's read about Shamgar, and if I hadn't got Judges chapter 3 written on your bit of paper, I wonder how many of you would have known where to turn your Bibles. We are going to read Judges chapter 3, verse 31, and chapter 5, verse 6. It's everything that the Bible says about Shamgar. He gets mentioned in just those two verses. Judges 3, 31. After him, oh no, by the way, the him that's mentioned there is Ehud. He's another judge of Israel. We're in the book of Judges. If you don't know about Ehud, probably best not to read it just before lunch. Ehud was a left-handed guy who had a short sword. Now, being left-handed was very unusual in those days. And in fact, it's quite likely that he was using his left hand because there was something wrong with his right hand, possibly deformed or handicapped or injured in some way. So here is a left-handed man using a short sword who rescued Israel from a very fat king who was probably sitting on the toilet at the moment when he stabbed him and he was so fat that the dagger just disappeared inside the... Oh, yeah, just before lunch is a fantastic Bible reading. You know, the Judges is full of stories where you think, what is this doing in the Bible? It's a bit of a surprise, particularly the last couple of chapters in Judges, but let's not go there for the moment. So after him, it says, came Shamgar, the son of Anath, who struck down 600 Philistines with an ox goad, and he also saved Israel. Across in chapter 5, which is the song of Deborah and Barak, Deborah being another judge, in verse 6, it says, In the days of Shamgar, in the, the son of Anath, in the days of Jael, another judge, the highways were deserted and travellers went by roundabout ways. That's everything the Bible says about Shamgar. But I'm going to bring out five quick lessons this morning which I think will help you, help us all, to understand how to approach a year like 2022. It will help to begin with to have a little idea of the whole of the book of Judges. Now, think of somebody with a yo-yo and think of them walking downstairs uh, with the yo-yo. It goes up and it goes down, but because they're heading downstairs with the yo-yo, the top is always a little bit lower each time and the bottom's always a little bit lower each time as they go up and down. So I think it's all the yo-yo walking down some stairs. That's the history of Israel during the time of Judges. They're doing okay for a bit. Oh, if you prefer a slightly more theological view, uh, look at the picture that I've put on your page. Before we get to number one, sin. They're going okay, but then they sin. You know, the yo-yo goes down. They rebel against God. 
Then there's a time when they are in the service of some other nation who's overrun them um, in servitude to that place. But then, of course, they call out to God. And I love alliteration, so there's the word supplication. In repentance, they come to him. He provides a judge who rescues them. He brings the salvation they need. This is like the yo-yo going back up again. And for a while, there's a time of silence or rest, and it's kind of okay. But then, different periods of time, sometimes not very long at all, down it goes again. They call out to God, up it goes again. But as I mentioned, the up is never quite as high as the previous one and the sin that they fall into gets a bit worse and worse. So think of going down those stairs with a yo-yo. And if you've got that circular picture like I put on your notes, think of it not just as a circle but as a spiral that kind of descends more and more. That's the history of Israel at this point during the Judges. So five things that I think are important. The first is that Shamgar lived in enemy-occupied territory. He lived in enemy-occupied territory just like we do. Now, how do I know that? Well, think about chapter 5, verse 6. In the days of Jael, the highways, the days of Shamgar, the days, uh, you know, uh, the highways were deserted. Travellers went by roundabout ways. Why? Why were the highways deserted? If you had a caravan of spices or goodies of some sort from Egypt and you're bringing them up to Syria or someplace, you didn't go down the main road of Israel. You went around the way. Why? Now, sometimes people tell me Shamgar's the problem. Uh-uh. He's the answer to the problem. He's the judge. He's going to deliver Israel. The problem was the Philistines. An enemy had occupied the land. So if you have your caravan of spices and expensive stuff and you go down the main road, what's going to happen? The soldiers say, hello. Oh, expensive things. That's nice. Keep going. You know, some young fella decides, I want to go out in the street and throw rocks at the soldiers or call them names or something. That's probably not very healthy. Young lady decides to go for a, a, a stroll in the cool of the evening with the enemy soldier out there on the street. Uh-uh. The streets were deserted because there was an enemy occupying the land. You and I live in exactly the same situation. Now, Gail and I do a lot of work in schools and sometimes we walk into a school and, wow. This is a really spiritual place because that kid just said God and that one said Christ and that one said Jesus. Uh-uh, not a terribly spiritual place at all. Our Saviour's name is the most common swear word in our community today. You don't need me to spend long talking about this. There's a degree to which the evil one has influence in this world. Now, I hope you heard what I said, only a degree. It's pretty strong, it's pretty powerful, but never think, as some of the storybooks seem to have it, that here's God and here's the evil one. There's a great big fight going on and I'd better pray a lot, otherwise the evil one might win. Uh Uh-uh, it's not like that either. God is God. God is unique. There is no two gods kind of fighting. The evil one, Satan, is less than God. 
We know the outcome eventually, if we read the word. It's going to work out in the end for those of us who trust in Christ. So don't ever doubt God's power, but within limits, to a degree, the evil one has sway in this world today. Is that not true? So we live in enemy Occupied territory. What did Shamgar do about it? The second thing, the second point, he is he did what he could. He lived in enemy occupied territory, but he did what he could. The Bible says there he struck down 600 Philistines. Pretty good job. Now it doesn't tell us how he did it. Now maybe he was like Samson, I doubt it, but maybe he's like Samson who, with the jawbone of an ass, you know, struck down a thousand of them in one day. Samson, you know, you know, Hercules, Samson, Arnold Schwarzenegger, me, we've all got something in common, right? So you think of Samson, that was a joke, by the way. You think of Samson, pretty special with his muscles and all the rest of it. I, I like to think of Shamgar being a bit more thoughtful. Maybe he's hiding behind a bush or something and past goes a whole line of the enemy, jumps out and thumps a couple on the end and jumps back behind the bush and maybe does this for long enough and uh, eventually 600 of them. I'm not sure. Doesn't tell us how he did it. But I think it's an illustration for us. We need to do what we can. One of the favourite sayings that I have and I've almost lived my life by this, is don't let what you can't do interfere with what you can do. If you spend your life thinking about what you can't do, you'll probably never, ever do anything. Pollution is a classic example. You want to do something about the world's pollution problem? Don't just dwell on the statistics or how big the problem is. Do a bit more recycling today. Some of you young people want to pass an exam at the end of year 12. Well, I won't tell you to do your homework tonight. It's the school holidays. But what you've got to do is do your homework every day and then the exam, in a sense, will take care of itself. You want to win the grand final in football? You better win the first game of the year. And how do you win the first game of the year? First time the ball comes near you, win the ball! Do something positive with it. Better the ball, sometimes the coaches say. So all those little steps lead to the long one. The first time I was in India, I've been there several times. Many years ago, the first time I was there, no matter how much you learn about the, um, the poor and the desperate straits they are in, it doesn't really prepare you for actually seeing it. I was at a big tourist attraction in what's now called Mumbai, the gateway of India. Uh, it's a big gate, first thing they'd see on the boats when they came from England. And because it's a tourist attraction, there are lots of tourists and there are lots of beggars. And one of the things they taught me was that when you first arrive at a place, don't give to a beggar immediately, otherwise you won't be able to move. You'll just be absolutely surrounded. If you want to give, give as you leave. You give something and jump in the taxi or whatever and you're out of there. Well, this particular day I was being followed by a lady with a baby. And again, um, I've heard the stories, seen the movies. 
What's that movie? I should have written it down with, uh, you know, Slumdog Millionaire. Have you seen that? Don't watch that just before lunch either. But I've heard these stories and seen that movie. I know that sometimes they deliberately maim a child or a baby because a tourist is more likely to give to a lady with a baby or a lady with a child who's got a crook leg than just to anybody. You hear these stories. So I ignored this lady for quite a long time. Finally, I turned around and looked at her and the baby was small. Now, we've got a 47-day-old grandchild and uh, our youngest son was about that age when I left to go on that trip. So you want to hear stories about women left on their own with their... Bo- you, know, you can talk to God. Our youngest son, who's now, you know, 203 centimetres tall and 34 or something years old, uh, he was just little. This baby was about that size, tiny. But I could see by its head, which was quite large, this child was probably a year old or more, but just tiny and skinny and emaciated. I couldn't help every beggar in India. 300 million at the time, I read, go to bed at night without adequate food or clothing or shelter. I couldn't help every beggar in India, but what excuse did I have for not helping the one that I was looking at? Now, I know my money is a very short-term solution. And, you know, you want to help World Vision and all these people, of course. But when you look into the eyes of someone who's starving, there's no excuse not to do something about it. Don't let what you can't do interfere with what you can do. So he lived in enemy-occupied territory to Chamga. He did what he could. And then thirdly, he did it with what he had. The scripture there tells us he had an ox goad. Now, you know, an ox goad is a long piece of wood with a little curved piece of metal, not terribly sharp, but a curved piece of metal on the end. And, of course, the reason you use it is to prod the oxen to make them go. That's why it's called a goad. Yes, not a very good joke, but nevertheless, there you go. He had an ox goad. Now, again, maybe he was out there on the street swinging the thing around like a crazy man and knocking off 600 at a time. I don't know. I tend to doubt that. However he did it, he made an impact, didn't he? He did what he could with what he had. You and I ought to be people who do exactly that. As we approach 2022, don't wait until you've got a Bible college education before you share your faith. Use what you have right now. You might not be the richest person sitting in this church today. But maybe there is one person you can help practically with a gift of money or a gift of food or in some other way. The gift of a visit. COVID safe visit. We need to be people who use what we have right now. In enemy occupied territory, Shamgar did what he could with what he had, and he did it where he was. That's the fourth thing we want to learn this morning that will help us, I think, as we approach 2022. 
right there in that enemy-occupied land of Israel is where he did it. He didn't join the army or go overseas or do something special. He did what he did right where he was. Another saying I like is that changing your address won't make you a better Christian. Sometimes we think that if things were different, if I lived somewhere different, Rob, you talk about these things and witnessing, but you don't know my neighbours. There's no way I could witness to them in any way at all. And by the way, witnessing is not just a matter of the four spiritual laws given all in one minute, sort of, here it is, bang, bang, bang. There's so many ways in which we can share the gospel. We share our lives, we share our love, but appropriately, when the opportunity arises, we need to say something or give a tract maybe or something like that. If we think that just living our lives is going to really make a difference, how do they know you're not a good Muslim? How do people know you're not a good whatever? Unless you actually say something about Jesus. You might just be a plain good person. At some point, appropriately, we need to share our faith. I mean, even Jesus, who was perfect, and by the way, we're not, but even Jesus didn't walk around the place and just sort of stand there and sort of by osmosis somehow, oh, they'll all see how good I am. He spoke constantly. Of course, he did some pretty good things. But if we want to make a difference where we are, we need to be people who look for those opportunities and we need to serve God right where we are, here in this area of Brooklyn Park because going overseas to be a witness somewhere else isn't necessarily going to make you a better Christian. In enemy-occupied territory, Shamgar did what he could with what he had, where he was. And finally, as I've mentioned a couple of times, he made a difference. The Bible says there he saved Israel. Now, the number of judges who are mentioned in the Hall of Fame, the Faith Hall of Fame in the Bible. That's Hebrews chapter 11. There's four of them mentioned there, two of the most famous judges, Gideon and Samson. And there's also Barak, who wasn't actually a judge, but he was the military leader at the time when Deborah was the judge. And then there's Jephthah. I've been preparing a whole series on the book of Judges for another church where I preach quite often. And uh, I'm very tempted to get in to talk about some of those today, but I won't. But the point I'm mentioning right now is here's these four of them mentioned in the book of Hebrews, in the Faith Hall of Fame. You don't find Shamgar there. Shamgar's a bit of a nobody. For some of you, you probably didn't even know his name before today. Perhaps didn't even know he was in the Bible. But I reckon there's so much we can learn from him because I believe if we like Shamgar, living in this enemy-occupied world in this year, 2022, if we do what we can with what we've got where we are, we also will see a difference. I want to finish with that famous starfish illustration that I'm certain many of you have heard before. An old man and a young man on a beach. Now, depending on the audience, you can make this illustration go either way as to which one was picking up starfish and throwing them into the water and which way the other one was just wandering along. But one of them, the old man or the young man, 
whichever you prefer, was picking up starfish, because there were lots of them on the beach. It was dawn, you see, and the starfish had been washed in during the evening, and uh, the tide was going out, and so now he was throwing them back into the water. Well, the other guy got next to him and said, uh, what do you think you're doing? He said, look, there's all these starfish, the sun's coming up, and uh, I'm saving their lives by throwing them back out into the water. But the other one said, look, the beach goes on for miles and there's, there's hundreds of starfish. What possible difference will your little effort make? Well, said the guy, picking up one more starfish, it will make a difference to this one. It will make a difference to this one. Let us pray. Father, help us to be people who learn a lesson from this guy Shamgar all those years ago. Help us to understand we're not all the same, we don't all have the same gifts, we've all got something we can do. And if we in this enemy-occupied world do what we can with what we've got, where we are, we too will make a difference. Help us to do that in this year. Amen.